0: Good morning. Welcome. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Um, we are going to be in the book of Acts, so if you have a Bible or a device, you can go ahead and turn there or swipe there if you want to. Otherwise, you'll also be able to follow along on the screen behind me. Uh, today we have probably our shortest section of verses in this whole series. So we typically, what we do here at Center Church is we Preach through books of the Bible. And so, right now, we're going through the New Testament book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts 5 this morning, verses 12 through 16. So, thus far in Acts, we have seen God moving powerfully through the Holy Spirit. And, And this is a theme that keeps coming up over and over God moving powerfully through the Holy Spirit. And we've seen this occur in a variety of ways. So, we've seen people. Waiting patiently for God to fulfill a promise. And patient waiting is a way in which we can see God's Spirit moving, working. Maybe we don't typically think about patiently waiting as one of those ways, but but I would say it is one of the ways we see God's Spirit powerfully moving. We've seen boldness displayed in people that are common. These people are common, unimpressive people which according to the metrics of this world, when you think of education or looks or wealth, the religious leaders of that day thought these people should not be confident. They should not be bold because they are unimpressive in many ways. And this boldness has been demonstrated in a variety of ways, one of which is Jesus' followers continually preach about Jesus' resurrection, even amidst threats being thrown at them. We've seen God's Spirit moving as people are unbelievably generous, letting go of valuables that they own their possessions so that others can be provided for. We've seen God's Spirit unite people who possess differing perspectives and differing preferences. We've seen God's Spirit move in such a way to heal people. We've seen God's Spirit expose what's hidden deep in the heart's Of people as we talked about Ananias and Sapphira last week and on and on we can give examples and marvel at God's work in the early chapters of Acts today we're going to get even more examples of God's spirit moving in profound ways so let's read Acts 5 verses 12 through 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these examples of how you worked powerfully in the past, and thank you for the ways in which you continue to work powerfully today as well. Would you help us to be able to see that Would You build our faith? Would You bring healing to our hearts, to our bodies, in ways that would amaze us and astound us? In these moments together now, would You fill us with faith? Grow us, mature us as believers in Jesus, in His grace. And it's in His powerful name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to spend our time this morning just kind of slowly walking through these verses, but then at the end, what I want to do once we get to the end of these verses, I want to talk a little bit about why is there suffering, and what good can come from suffering. So verse 12 begins with a statement. It says, Many signs and wonders were done regularly. So this suggests that there is a variety of miracles that are occurring in that day. Sick people are made well. Lame people are made to walk. People who are afflicted in a variety of ways are set free from the afflictions that are plaguing them. We could also say this isn't just physical. This is also spiritual. Sinners are being forgiven of their sins. And it's also the fact that this is occurring regularly. These events are occurring regularly. This was normal, and we might look at this and hear this talk of signs and wonders, and that might sound like something fantastic to us, almost like a fantasy in a sense, because we might look around our lives and see sickness, and yet we maybe don't see physical miracles in great volume. Maybe we've never seen that, never experienced that, and yet we know probably many people who are afflicted in a variety of ways. Okay, we're going to come back to that when we talk about suffering in just a bit. It says that this gathering or these activities were happening in a place known as Solomon's Portico. So Solomon was the son of King David, King David known as kind of the greatest king in the history of Israel. Solomon was known for constructing the Jewish temple, and this area that's being talked about is part of the temple that he built when he was alive. Now this portico is a covered area where people are able to find relief from, with some shade from the scorching sun in that day. And so, this is all part of the temple area. And this is important for us to understand. This is the temple area. So, Christians, these new Christians, not adherents to the Jewish faith, but new Christians are going to the temple area to speak about Jesus, to speak about His resurrection, and to be part of these signs and wonders that are happening in their midst. So what's going on here? You've got Christians. These would be non-religious people or non-religious leaders, okay? They have moved away from the Jewish faith, and they're coming and they're gathering in this area for religious activities and doing things that the religious leaders of the Jewish faith were unable to do. And we've talked in previous weeks about when this is happening— This creates an environment of threat for the religious leaders of the Jewish faith. Because they love their power. They love their control. They love their authority. They didn't want to give it up. And this is why they're throwing threats at Jesus' followers. And because of these these threats, this is likely why we read the next sentence. It says, None of the rest dared join them. Now, there's a little bit of debate about who the rest are. Who who exactly is being talked about with this phrase? So some say it's non-Christians who are not wanting to be involved in what's going on. Maybe they're against what's happening within the Christian community, or they've observed what's just taken place with Ananias and Sapphira, and they're scared off because of, of their deaths, and they just don't want to be a part of that. I would say more likely the rest is referring to other Christians. So so we've got to remember, like, all of these Christians are new Christians, right? We, We don't have anybody who has claimed to be a Christian for 40 years, right? Like, these are new Christians. This is a new community, a new movement. And so all of these people are coming out of the Jewish religion. They have family members who are still attending synagogue. They know the hatred that the religious leaders have for Jesus and his church. They're aware of the imprisonment that's just happened to some of Jesus' followers. They're very aware of the threats. And so they feel scared. So they don't want to join them. And what's going on in the temple area? They respect the apostles. They are trusting in Jesus. They affirm the signs and wonders. But their faith just needs maturing. This engagement with adherence of the Jewish faith then is resulting in many people believing in Jesus. It says here in verse 14, more than ever, and, and we've already read about thousands of people believing in Jesus thus far in the book of Acts. And now it's saying more than ever. This is maybe an encouragement for us. One of our core values here at Center Church is mission. Okay? We don't just want to sit on the sidelines expect like the religious, professional leaders in the church to be the ones doing the work of the ministry. Like we, we all want to be engaged. What we're doing here is trying to equip so that we would all view ourselves as missionary and missionaries. And maybe this can be an encouragement to us that oftentimes it's those spaces we may view as the most unlikely for people to trust in Jesus, the most hostile, that it's oftentimes those people who will respond to Jesus in the most accepting way. Many of those early Christians, they thought, I don't want to go there, be there, and yet, this is why Peter and John and the other leaders in the church are going there. They know that these people are ripe for the harvest. They're ready to believe in Jesus. They want to move away from the law and all the commands and receive grace and trust in what Jesus was about. And I love how Luke depicts all of this going on here in verse 14. He says, there's multitudes of both men and women. So I think a phrase like this is, in our culture today, we can just kind of read over this and not, not really feel the weight of what Luke is actually saying here. Because in a culture and a society that often discarded women to the side, the gospel, Luke, it, through the lens of the gospel, he is viewing them as equals. In this patriarchal society, he's acknowledging their existence and their presence right along the men. And so Luke is celebrating their welcome into Jesus' church. And this is part of Luke's heart being shaped by jesus i mean still today though women have a spot in our culture that is much more equal than it was in that day still in our culture and practices today women still oftentimes are overlooked and minimized but not so with jesus not so with jesus and we would say not so at center church We want to love and care for and empower women. Look out for you. Know you're cared for. Provide every opportunity that we would provide for men as well. Okay, so then this gospel movement that's marked by signs and wonders wonders is so prolific. It says people start carrying the sick into the streets, simply hoping that Peter's shadow might fall on them. There was a belief in the ancient world that having someone's shadow pass over another could result in good for them. It could result in even healing for them. So whether these people are doing this because they believe that there's power in Jesus' name or because they're just engaging in some kind of superstitious practice? We don't know, but there's at least some desire here, right? There's some belief that something was happening in and through Peter. And what we know from what we've read already in the book of Acts is that Peter was so explicit, talking about Jesus. In that very moment when he, he helped heal an individual, this man who had been lame for over 40 years, and he could have taken credit... He was so explicit to say, it's not us, it's not me, it's Jesus. The power is in his name and only his name. So what we know is that Peter is going to be ferociously pushing forward Jesus' name, trying to push himself to the background in all of this. And then we notice how people are gathering from around the towns near Jerusalem So the word of Jesus, the gospel word, is spreading. People are coming from further away. And this is what we read at the beginning of Acts, what was promised. Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. As was promised, the Holy Spirit has come in power. And Jesus told his followers they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and beyond. And so people are hearing of Jesus. People are trusting in Jesus. And the word of Jesus, the gospel movement, is going forth powerfully, spreading like wildfire. And then we read at the very end, verse 16 it says they were all healed not just some right but all this really stands out everyone who came was healed so this is a stark statement especially when we understand what we talked about last week Ananias and Sapphira right hiding, lying displaying hearts that were focused on themselves. They were trusting in themselves rather than trusting in Jesus. What this is describing, they were all healed, is exceedingly gracious. And so it's good to realize how we can so easily focus. We can look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and we can so easily focus on the injustice of God not viewing what God does in that story as grace, as ways in which he's protecting his church or caring for his church from the threats within. And yet then, right after that story, we get this exceedingly gracious picture of God. None of these people who are healed deserve that. But God is choosing to graciously heal these individuals. He's healing tons of sinners. He's healing his enemies. Okay, so maybe we read this phrase, they were all healed, and we kick this into our current reality, and we ask the question, why isn't that true today? I think that's a legitimate question. Why won't God heal in this way now? And that question can be asked in a variety of ways, right? Like some people might ask that question out of hurt. Some people might ask that question out of anger, like a vindictive spirit towards God. Where are you? Why won't you do something? Other people will ask that question just out of true wondering, yearning for God to move and to act. But it's a legitimate question and one I want to spend a bit of time on today. And that is, why is there suffering in our world today? Why doesn't God choose to heal people? Wouldn't that seemingly cause people's faith to explode if there was a bunch of people being healed? Or maybe another question we we can ask is, how can God accomplish good through suffering? So I want to try and answer these questions about Suffering and healing and god's goodness with a couple of different answers Okay, so first of all, why why is there suffering or how can god accomplish good through suffering? So first of all, we need to be repeatedly convinced of our reality And that is this reality that we are actually sick Every single one of us Is sick When life is filled with ease, we tend to think that we are okay. Comfort in life oftentimes leads to laziness, spiritual laziness. So the abject evil seen in someone else, when we look out around ourselves, we will always find someone worse than ourselves, right? We're really good at this. So we can look at someone else and we can see abject evil in them. And when that happens, it can cause us to minimize the evil in our own hearts. Okay, so when I'm talking about we are sick, I'm talking about we are spiritually sick. Okay? This is what Jesus said in Mark 2. He said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous but sinners so when we think we're just fine we're put together what that's saying is i'm not in need of jesus and so when we say that jesus sacrifice on the cross becomes much less precious for us it's not nearly as meaningful we've got to understand we are sick Before Jesus' sacrifice actually means something for us. When we think we're okay as compared to others, when it appears others are sicker than we are, we will dumb down our own sickness. Someone else needs Jesus more than we do. The reality is, it is the sick who need a doctor. We can say this is a physical reality sick people need a doctor. But the greater spiritual correlation is sinners need a Savior. When we are sick, when someone close to us is sick, when we feel mistreated, when we fail in some way, maybe in school we don't get the grade that we were hoping to get. Maybe at work we don't get the promotion that we think we deserve. Someone less deserving gets it. In in these types of situations in life, we feel our lack. We feel our need. When we're sick, when we can't do the things we normally can do, physically sick, it helps us to feel, to realize our need. And it communicates to us we need help, we need Jesus. And correlating this then spiritually is we need forgiveness, we need healing, spiritual healing. So part of the gift of pain and suffering is that it continually reminds us that we are sick, especially in this Western culture where luxury and comfort is so often king. I've got a few quotes here from individuals who've written about this idea. An author by the name of Mark Vrogop wrote a book called Dark Clouds and Deep Mercy. He says, Pain has a way of awakening us to our need for God's help. It shines a spotlight on our powerlessness to control everything. We are never more aware of our frailty than when hardship comes our way. This is one of the blessings of suffering. We begin to see things more clearly. Tim Keller used to be a pastor in New York. He says, suffering awakens us out of our haunted sleep of spiritual self-sufficiency into a serious search for the divine. Typically, I sleep really good, and so I like the way that he talks about this here. He calls it a haunted sleep. We walk through our days unaware of spiritual realities. There's this malaise, this fog, and he's saying that's a nightmarish sleep when we walk through our lives thinking we are enough, good enough, self-sufficient enough. C.S. Lewis, he talked about this in the way, saying pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain is a way in which God kind of shouts at us as to what the realities really are in this world and in our own lives. So, no one is going to wake up and say, I want to suffer. No one's going to run down that path. But oftentimes we can look back and we can say, I'm thankful that I walked through that. I wouldn't choose it, but I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't choose it, but I wouldn't change it. So, suffering gets our attention, it highlights our need of a physician, and it reminds us of what's really important. Okay. Secondly, then, and some of these things are going to overlap a little bit, but we're just trying to come at it from a little different angle. Okay. Secondly, we need to be confronted with our misplaced hope. It's really easy in our culture to place hope in circumstances or possessions. So a lack of healing our ongoing disappointment in some situation compels us to place our hope in something bigger, better, and more reliable. We may find ourselves on many days in our lives wishing for a different circumstance or working really hard to change a circumstance in our lives. And we may invest much money and time and energy in trying to change a certain circumstance. All the while, this thing that we're trying so hard to change, this thing we're fighting against, may be God's way of helping us to see that this world does not possess what we are looking for. This disappointment might be God's grace to us. For those of you who've been at Center Church For some time, uh, you may know the story of Michael Pastor. Michael Pastor is someone, his family has been part of our church since day one. And in his early 40s, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. This is about two and a half years ago that this occurred. I can say things. I can speak truth, right? But when someone who's walking this road says these things, it carries a lot more weight. Okay? I just want to read something that Michael shared with me. The idea that someone could benefit from suffering seems like a ridiculous statement. Yet in the midst of tears and heartache, suffering has allowed me to see the sovereignty of God and the beauty of Jesus more clearly. Suffering has shown me that I make far too much of the comforts of this life. So we we can talk about these things, right? We can say these things. This is lived reality from someone who stares death in the face every day of his life. And one of the great gifts for us as a church to have someone walking this path is that when we are in the haunted sleep, A voice like this allows us to hear something from someone who's seen things really clearly. When the fog has been blown away and he can see in a really piercing way, this is true. Getting the next iPhone is not enough. Having a a booming 401k it won't satisfy you. Having your kids have success, getting this boyfriend or this girlfriend, that's not going to do it for you. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, says this, "'But he, being Jesus, said to me, Paul, "'My grace is sufficient for you, "'for my power is made perfect in weakness.'" Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul's writing from a perspective. Most of his weaknesses, the things he's writing about, the suffering are coming because he's talking about Jesus. Right? In our context, we oftentimes think about suffering being health related, right? Or not getting some possession or thing that we think is necessary in life. Not often are we feeling what Paul is talking about here. But Paul is saying, I'm not just going to put up with the suffering, he's saying, I'm going to boast about it, I'm going to make much of that. Because when I'm weak, then I feel my need for Jesus. And I sense the power of Jesus. It's enough. Jesus is enough. His grace is enough. All these other things, they're nice. And they're God's gift to us. And we can enjoy those things. But only Jesus is enough. So, so let this be a call for us to look inward at our own hearts. Like what are those things that we're chasing after? Where are we misplacing hope? If we got the cancer diagnosis tomorrow, what would we say is so meaningless, so frivolous, so temporary? And we would let that thing go. And what are the things that we would then cling to? And what we get in Scripture over and over is that what we ought to long for is Jesus. We ought to long for His return. We oftentimes want to think about, I want to go on that vacation, right? I want to see my kids get married. I want to experience this thing. Jesus, don't come back until then. And all of this suffering, pain, is intended to, to stir this yearning within our hearts for Jesus to come back because only then will things be put right and will we find what we are actually looking for. Okay. So last thing then here, why is there suffering? Physical healing or the lack of it is intended to point us to the greater promise of spiritual healing. We talk about this quite a bit here at Center Church. We live in a physical world. We're surrounded by physical realities. All of these things, good, bad, hard, otherwise, are intended to continually be pointing us to Jesus, to greater, grander spiritual truths and realities. So the religious leaders of the Jewish faith, they realize there's a spiritual component to the healings being done by Jesus' followers. Think about this. So if if Jesus' followers were just healing, if this was just about healing, simply physical healing, do you think these religious leaders would care? I don't think so because I think they have enough education that they would figure out a way to capitalize on it. They could turn this thing on its head. But the fact that the physical healing is tied to something greater, and the something greater is Jesus' resurrection, this idea that God takes dead things and he makes them alive, and that's the whole premise of the Christian faith. The fact that Peter and John and the other leaders of the of Jesus' church are continually teaching this reality. It's about Jesus' resurrection. It's about Jesus. This is what actually agitates the religious leaders in the Jewish faith. And yet, this reality is intended to be a comfort to us. Physical healing is never just about that. It's not just about that. Michael Pastor We pray for his healing weekly, regularly. We long to see Jesus work in a powerful way to demonstrate his glory over cancer. We long for that. If God grants us that grace and heals Michael and gives us 40 more years like we're praying for, he's still going to die. He still will die. Physical healing is not the point. Acts 5.14 says, More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. This is the true miracle. This is the astounding reality. The physical healing, the signs and wonders, are pointing to something greater So, so it's not wrong for us to pray for physical healing. It's not wrong to seek physical wellness. But pursuits aimed at physical health never ought to be prioritized over our spiritual health. And that can be a hard word. And we try and talk about this regularly get over yourself, it's not about you. Paul says in another place in the New Testament that physical training has value. It does have value. There is a good reality to train your body physically, but too much of a good thing turns into a bad thing. Too much of a good thing turns into a God thing. And then we take good things and we turn them into evil things. Michael also says this. Suffering has also shown me that despite my best efforts, I can neither save myself physically or spiritually. Yet, I also see more clearly that I don't have to. There is nothing I can do on my own that will rescue me from cancer. And there's far less I can do on my own to rescue me from sin. For this reason, I trust in Jesus and his free gift of salvation for me. Suffering has shown me that I'm not wishing for a miracle miracle cure for cancer. Rather, it reminds me that I've already received a miracle cure for sin. This is the point. This is the true sign and wonder. This is the true miracle. So I would say, wear your Fitbit. Eat your flaxseed and your kale. Like get your rest. Sleep well. Exercise. But let's be honest about the importance of these things. Let's let these endeavors serve our interest in the Gospel. Let's not put our hope in science. Okay? Let's see science as a good gift from God. And it is that. But let's entrust ourselves to Jesus and to His priorities. Let's see Him as the healer of our souls. The one who heals our sin. He is the Great Physician. And this is the call for us week in and week out. Believe the gospel. Believe in Jesus' life, death, and his resurrection. So we end our sermons here at Center Church with what we call gospel application. Okay? We we want you walking out of here thinking about good news. And good news is not here's the four things you need to do throughout this week so you can be a good person or you can be a good Christian. Okay? Because I think four times 52, two 208, all right? If if we give you 208 things every year, like, no one will want to come here. There's not good news in that. Good news... This is what the word gospel means, is good news. So we want you walking out of here thinking about not all the things you need to do, but thinking about what has Jesus done for you? Who is Jesus? That's good news. Not in us trying to achieve or perform or be good enough for God. He was good on our behalf. We simply need to trust in him, give ourselves over to him so typically we'll end with a few kind of gospel reminders this is who Jesus is but I want to just want to go to the text uh, this morning i want to highlight this one thing it says bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all healed okay so just a few things I want to draw out of this okay First of all, notice that the sick and the unclean, they're not going to Jesus. They're being brought. They need help. It's really important, right? We don't find Jesus. Jesus comes to us. He rescues us. So the sick and the unclean need to be brought. And then the reality is, we come sick to Jesus, right? Or rather, when he comes to us, he's coming to sick people. He's coming to his enemies. He's not coming to people who are cleaned up and well put together. He's coming to needy people. People who understand they need a physician. They need a healer. Not the religiously well put together. Not the people who can flaunt, I do devotions for this many minutes every day and I spend this much time in prayer and look at me. Thank you, Jesus, I'm not like that person over there. He's not coming for those people because those people are saying, I don't need to be healed. I don't need a physician. He's coming to the destitute, the needy, the downtrodden, the sinners, So there is nothing compelling in us or attractive in us when Jesus comes to us. What draws him to us is the mess that we find ourselves in. And that's a beautiful reality. And then lastly, he heals us. He heals us. And this is a promise. Okay, we're not promised physical healing. We long for it. We pray for it at times but we're not promised it. But we are promised spiritual healing. We are promised spiritual healing if we will trust in Jesus, if we will go to the one who has taken upon himself the punishment for our sins.